we, we want to be both a spiritually engaging and a scripturally thoughtful congregation. And so we're going to be coming to Mark chapter 6. Uh, this is part of the reason I occasionally take tours to Israel and to Turkey. And uh, this uh, September, I just want to mention this, a lot of you have mentioned to me you want to c- come on this trip, but the deadline is coming up in just a few weeks. So September 11th to 21st, you'll see cards on the Connect table back there. Uh, you'll need to make a final decision about that, but we're going to be looking at a bunch of biblical sites and experiencing some wonderful with-each-other moments, and uh, you'll build new friendships as well. I think you'll find it to be very energizing to your spiritual life. So I encourage those of you who are thinking of coming. It's the second and third week of September. Mark chapter 6. We've entitled this series Just Jesus because that's often what life comes down to, just Him. And... uh, Today I want to talk about the face of rejection, the face of rejection. And that's an ugly face, just to be up front with you. It's an ugly face. And here's what it looks like. It's Mark 6, verse 1. And Jesus left there. There was where he had just raised a 12-year-old daughter, a girl from the dead, and he had healed a woman who had a bleeding condition for 12 years, who touched the hem of his garment. So from there, Jesus left, and he went home. He went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. I remember when I was a student how much I loved going home. And he was accompanied by his disciples, so he didn't go home alone, but his closest 12 were with him. And when the Sabbath came, the Sabbath day, where you go to synagogue for worship, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. And that's not necessarily good. You could interpret that word, translate that word astonished. They were, what's going on here? Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's his wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? I mean, isn't this the carpenter? And isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and... Aren't all his sisters here with us? Mary, mother of Jesus, had a very large family, apparently. And they admired him. No, they took offense. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And he could not, get this, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. Now it's his turn to be amazed and astonished. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then continuing verse 6, Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village, and calling the twelve to him, those are his disciples, he, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now if you're in this room and you're over three years old, Uh, you can taste some of this because we've all been rejected. We all know what it is. And it's a big spectrum all all the way from just sort of being ignored or left out all the way to being abused and bullied and everything in between. We we know what rejection's about. It's, It's a bad thing. And unfortunately, it's the risk of loving people. It's the risk of loving. You love people and you're in danger of getting rejected can't always control that. Now some little kids were asked what they thought of love and one little girl says, I think it's foolish. 
but I might still try it sometime. And another little kid was asked, you know, what, what do you think I love? And she said, well, I'm not rushing into it. Fourth grade's hard enough. You know, she's pretty smart. And, and a little six-year-old boy, Billy, said, you know, I look at it this way. Kissing is fine if you like it, but it's a free country, and nobody should be forced to do it. <laughs> Amen. It's a free country. Love's very complicated. Daring to build a friendship is very risky. And uh, having kids is hugely risky. And any way in which we engage relationships is always the danger of what Jesus experienced. So we can all, I think, in this room say we feel the pain that Jesus felt. We feel that pain. We, we've, been, we've been at least through part of this. Especially when it comes to people who can't see past what we were. Now, they said in verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? I mean, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters right here with us? I mean, they had him in a box for what they knew him to be. He'd grown up in this town for 30 years, probably not more than 500 max people in Nazareth. And uh, he had studied. His school friends were still all there. Uh, he started a small business with his father there. And, and all the people, all his customers were there. He, and then at 30, he decided to head another direction. And, and, and he became pretty famous within the next year. And, and people were following all over the place. But everyone's got to go home once in a while. So he goes home. And they still got him in a box, the box of what he was, not of what he could be. I remember when I was a kid, I was painfully shy. Many of you have heard me say that. I was painfully shy, which meant that I just had this self-consciousness. Like, if I was to ever change in front of people, I mean, I'd be pretty self-conscious. And it can become a box. It can become like a trap. Because people only know you as you were. And it turned out that my dad's company moved us from Canada to Minnesota I mean, three days before I started my senior year in high school. And I left good friends in high school and in my youth group at church. And I arrived in this town in southern Minnesota where I did not know one living soul. I walked into that high school, no friends, nothing. But there was an upside. When you're really self-conscious, there's an upside. Because I've been praying about this before I got to this new town and this new high school. And even though in the high school they made fun of me because I was an alien, I was from Canada, they, I, I had this moment where I said, I felt like the Lord said to me, I'm giving you a moment where I'm going to clean the slate. Nobody's going to know you as a shy, self-conscious kid anymore. Every impression that you make on anybody will be a first impression. And I actually felt like, and this turned out to be true, I felt like the Lord said, this is the only time in your life that's going to happen. I'm going to let you start over with first impressions. So people don't keep you in the trap of what they always knew you to be. But uh, the people in Jesus' town had 30 years of impressions. And now Jesus was out there, big crowds were following, he's doing these miracles, like what is wrong with this guy? I mean, isn't he just the carpenter on his mom and dad here? Here's brothers and sisters, I mean, what? And so the, sometimes rejection comes in this, this sense, like people won't let us change. I've had people encounter God very powerfully in their, in their 50s after they've had their Christian friends and God starts using them in unique ways. You know what the, the, they've occasionally said to me? They've said, 
you know who's giving me the hardest trouble right now? You know who's kind of distancing from me? It's my Christian friends. I don't know if I make them feel guilty now, or, but, but I'm just zealous for Jesus like I've never been. And I pray for people and things happen. And, and you know who's giving me the hardest trouble? It's my own Christian friends. It's like they would like to know me as I was. That didn't threaten them. But now, but now I'm becoming. And, and that becomes the second. That, that's the other side of this coin. Not only do people keep us trapped in what, and can't see past what we were, but they want to control what we're becoming. They, they want to feel like, you, you know, I've got you in my box and, and w- what you do better meet my specifications. I want to control what you're becoming. And Jesus was becoming like this prophet, this, this, this powerful minister preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand so we should repent and believe the good news. And, and, and they were trying here in this in, in this experience going home to Nazareth, they were, trying to, they were trying to put boundaries around what he was becoming. And so, verse 3, they, they didn't admire him, they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Like, we do not approve of what you're becoming. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. I knew it. <laughs> And there it is, right before you. Now, Jesus often quoted out of the Old Testament. This time, this is not a verse in the Old Testament. This was just a popular saying. Our equivalent of it today would be this. Familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, that'd be our. So he just, he doesn't quote a scripture. He just picks a common phrase that is kind of a generic truism. And uh, let me just say, let me just press this one more, one more step. Do you realize that there are people who will reject you if you do finally become a healthy person? If you actually break that addiction with the Lord's help. There are people that depend on your sickness and your addiction for their identity. You start changing and it cre- induces somewhat of a crisis in their lives. I've seen it happen over and over again. Psychologists call it codependency. But you start changing and you're going to find people will resist the change because their identity and their value starts to be at stake. I love what we sang this morning. God in the Old Testament introduced himself, said, my name is I am that I am. And uh, we sang this morning, I am, I am who the I am says I am. I'm who he says I am. And I know, I know we all want our friends to like us in school. And we, I, I, I know we want our, our new project at work to succeed and people not be disappointed in us. You know, the fear of rejection is so deep in us and it controls us and it keeps us back in so many ways. But at some point, we defy it by saying, I accept good criticism. I'm open for coaching. But bottom line... I am not what other people want me to be or think I should be or always knew to be me to be. I am who he says I am. I am. And uh, if it's not people who can't see what we were or people want to control what we're becoming, it's people who just make decisions that we flat out can't control in the first place. And, and here it is in verse 5. He could not do many miracles there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. 
Now the end of this chapter will say crowds were coming upon him and massive numbers of people were being healed. Some of them just trying to touch his garment and they're healed. I mean, the end of this chapter is the polo opposite of these people who are so familiar with Jesus and couldn't figure out the new categories. And so they made decisions that Jesus wouldn't have wanted them to make, but they made decisions of unbelief and disbelief. They decided, we just can't have faith in this guy. And Jesus was actually amazed at their lack of faith. And I want to tell you, you can't make everybody like you. Uh, and not everybody will like you. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. But you come back to that Jesus-centered identity. You say, Lord, I'm not perfect. I mess up. I mean, there's some good reasons. Some people probably don't like me. But I'm going after you with all my heart and in all my imperfections. I can't control. I can influence people, but I can't control. I can in my wife's here in the front row. I, I can influence her behaviors and her feelings to some degree. I can I want to be a good influence because she's an amazing influence on me. But I can never, I cross a line when I try to control her emotions and control her behaviors. When you control a relationship, you're strangling the life out of it. You, f you make other people feel trapped and they just want to escape. When, when you just control people um, and don't give them the freedom to make their own decisions, uh, that, that's a terribly relationship-depleting experience. But we, we just have to say, even Jesus, I mean, he, 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 he couldn't change their minds, it seems. They just decided not to believe in him. And so hardly any of his supernatural power flowed out to them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So, so what did Jesus do? What, what did he do? This trip home didn't go well. So what, he, what did he do? Well, he left. <laughs> Sometimes that's a good idea. But, but he more than left, he went. He stayed focused on loving and reaching people. I mean, he just stayed focused. Now, sometimes when we're really rejected, we just want to play that victim card, like poor me, and if they don't love me, maybe nobody will love me, and, and we just do all this kind of thing. But he stayed focused on loving and reaching people. And in Mark 6, verse 6, this, this, is, this is such a remarkable verse. First of all, you have the rejection part. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I, I mean, he was amazed that they would reject him to that degree and have so little faith. But then we have the response part. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. I mean, Mark just says it. He doesn't even explain himself. He said he got rejected there, so he just went to the next town. They didn't know him as well. And he taught them in the next town. He stayed focused on loving and reaching people. Now, when her fiancé broke the relationship and married her best friend instead. This was terribly traumatic for Corey Ten Boom as she records it in her book, The Hiding Place. I mean, that hurts to have your fiance break off and then marry your best friend. So she asked her father advice and here's what he said. There are two things we can do. We can kill a love so it stops hurting, but then of course a part of us dies too. Or, Corey, we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel. 
When you're rejected, you can't crumple, you can't just be the victim, you can't just say, well, I'll never risk love again, and I'll never trust any human being again. And how could they do that? Listen, you just find, when your love's rejected, you find another place for that love to travel. That's exactly what Jesus did. He walked out of his hometown. I mean, I can't imagine how how emotionally bad Jesus felt in this moment although he didn't let it threaten his identity. But what did he do? He just let his love flow other places. And he went from town to town. And and there are days when, you know, I'm as amazed at what Jesus didn't do as what he did do. I mean, he didn't grovel, right? I mean, he didn't say, poor me. And, and, And he didn't say, you know, oh, come on. You guys in Nazareth, come on, we've been buds for a long time. I mean, I mean, just name, I'll do anything, you know, for you to like me again. You know, it doesn't work when you say to your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you know, if you leave me, I'll kill myself or whatever. Groveling never makes us respect another person. And he didn't manipulate people. We manipulate so easily. We manipulate people. Just He didn't go back into Nazareth and... And, and, and just do the, you know, the guilt thing that we do sometimes, you know. Well, if you really love God, you'd like me. You know, you didn't do that. I had a guy call me one day. It was a spam call. I accidentally took it, and, and he was trying to raise money for something. And I said no, but somehow we found out. I must have had a profile. I found out I was a pastor. So I said, no, I'm sorry. I was polite. I said, no, I'm sorry. I'm giving quite extensively some other directions right now. And he goes... He did the guilt thing on me over the phone. Oh, you're a pastor. Hmm? And you don't want to give, and you're a pastor. People do that to us all the time, right? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. And they just kind of manipulate us to get us going. And I got upset with this guy. I'm normally nice, but I I got upset with this guy. I almost told him a dollar amount. And I said, what do you mean I'm a pastor? You have no idea the thousands and thousands of dollars I'm giving away right now. What do you mean I'm a pastor? He said, oh, I'm sorry. That was the end of that call. That's a good way to get rid of them, I found out. <laughs> you know, we manipulate with guilt. We you know, try to get people to come our way. And, and, and people just will lose their trust in us when they feel manipulated by us. And they'll lose their respect when we grovel. But... Um, I'm also glad that Jesus didn't retaliate. Listen to this. He didn't retaliate. Like there are other times his disciples said, "Uh, Jesus, let's just call fire down on this town and nuke it. And and Jesus would even say, eh, it's not quite my spirit here. But he doesn't say, let's nuke my hometown. I mean, how could they do this to me? He doesn't retaliate. And so Bible scholars read this story and they say we see across this story of Jesus visiting home here in Mark 6, we see across this story the shadow of the cross itself. Or like Peter says, while he was hanging on the cross uh, in, there in, uh, in, in 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Jesus hanging on the cross. First of all, he's being tortured to death, but on top of it, it's like nobody cares, right? It's hard to be in pain and feel like nobody cares. That's really tough, to be in pain and alone. 
But they were more than that. They, they were actually making fun of him while he's suffering excruciating pain. They're mocking him. And he did not retaliate. And when they made him suffer that way, he didn't turn around and threaten back. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Now, I find sometimes it's easy for me to say, Lord, I give you my whole life. It gets tougher when he starts getting specific with me. Like, okay, um, will you give me your reputation and trust me with that? Then I do a double take. But it says Jesus on the cross. Instead of getting even, instead of retaliating, instead of manipulating, instead of groveling, instead of getting defensive, he entrusted even his reputation to a God who in the end will bring justice. And a God who defined who Jesus was and what he was called to do. And he stayed on that cross because he loved you and me. I mean, he could have got halfway through that and said, if everyone's going to reject me like this, I mean, I'm going to call some angels and get off this cross. I mean, he could have done that. But he stayed pinned to that cross because he was still reaching out. Even in the face of utter rejection and mockery, he stayed on the cross because he loves you so relentlessly and loves me so relentlessly, and he didn't retaliate. So here's the great story. Jesus, when he was rejected in his hometown, he stayed focused on loving people and reaching people. He just stayed focused on this. He just said, when my love's been rebuffed here, I'm just going to find a different pathway for my love. But he didn't stop loving because he wasn't defined by the people who rejected him. Neither are you. There's only one other thing he does, and Mark's got to add this to verse 6 because this is really key. You think when you're really hurt by other people, you're going to avoid partnerships. But now Jesus leans into partnerships. In fact, he stayed committed to the power of partnership. Now back in chapter 3, back in chapter 3, Jesus had called his 12 disciples. It says in verse 14, he appointed 12 that they might be, would you say those two words out loud with me? With him. That they might just be with him. I call it the power of with. You know, we're wired for with. We're wired for with. I, I love the story of UCLA football uh, coach um, Pepper Rogers. You know, his team was just in a massive slump. It was so bad. He was depressed, and it was affecting his marriage. And he, at one point, he said, I felt like my only friend in life was my dog. So, so I tried reaching out to my wife, and I said, I pleaded with her. I said, you know, a guy's got to have at least two friends in life. And so she bought me another dog, he said. <laughs> you know, this is it. It may not be your pet. Hopefully that's not it. We are wired for with. Jesus called them to be with him. Now three, that was Mark 3. Now three chapters later, here where we are today, in Mark 6, he goes home. The trip doesn't go well. He, he leaves town with his feelings hurt, but determined to not stop loving and just redirect, redirect it. So he goes to other villages and preaches. But he also leans into partnership. So here it is, verse 6. Read the whole thing again. He was amazed at their lack of faith. That was the rejection. 
Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. That's redirecting. He stayed focused on still reaching out to other people in spite of his rejection. And then here's where he leans into partnership. I mean, he depends on his friends, the 12, even more now. That's counterintuitive. You think when you've really had it bad and you don't think anybody loves you anymore, it's counterintuitive to lean into your friends even more. I've heard people say, I'll never trust anybody again. I've heard people say, I will never love again after what happened to me. But instead, he leans into partnership and calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits, even though already he knew he could only trust 11 of them and one of them would turn them in. But he leaned into partnership. So I, I think it makes, these are the kind of questions I have to ask myself. Um, like, so who is it that shares your heart for Jesus? That's the kind of person you need to lean into. And, and I sometimes, you know, I sometimes get tempted, tempted to say, and I've definitely pastored people who we've had to talk through this, um, you know what, I'm going to wait till I find some friends before I do what God's called me to do. I found it's better to do the opposite. It's better to go for God and then see who falls in step with you. And those often have become my best friends. So who shares your heart for Jesus? Who energized your spiritual passion? That's why I'm such a believer in small groups. Uh, like a small group I was in with just two other guys. We had breakfast once a week. And some days we'd talk about politics. Some days we'd talk about what was going on in our church. They were all in my church, the church I was pastoring. Sometimes we'd talk theology. Sometimes we'd talk scripture. Uh, one of those guys left and he said, you know, it's the funniest thing. Whenever we leave our breakfast, it doesn't matter what we talked about, I just want to follow Jesus more. And that's the power of with. You need to be in a group. You need to have people that energize your spiritual passion. And who knows how to pray for you specifically? I long ago got over the false guilt that it's selfish to ask people to pray for me. First of all, Paul always asked people to pray for him in the New Testament. And, uh, you know, I, I found that was false guilt. And uh, I just flat out need people praying for me. And thank you for the many of you who pray for me. You need people praying for you, specifically. And how, who could you serve with? There's volunteer teams. We, we try not to serve alone here, but in teams. And Who could you serve with? And who could you be a leader to? I mean, if this is so important, the power of with, if Jesus even after this incredible rejection, just leans into partnership even more. I mean, um, maybe you want to facilitate that. I just believe some of you God's speaking to, to actually step up and lead. And if you lead, you're going to get hurt. Let me just state that categorically. I, I mean, if you understand this story at all, you know, you know, you're going to become something that people didn't know you to be before. You might disappoint people. You might make a mistake. You'll get criticized. I mean, you're going to feel rejected at some point, but it's way too important to have somebody step up while everyone else is sitting around and say, let's do this together. And what a powerful thing. So Jesus, help us with this, we pray. In your mighty name.